Good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Harrison Smith back with episode 34 of Cinema, brought to you by Dark Matter TV. Dark Matter TV is a streaming platform where you can find not just current genre entertainment and horror, sci-fi, thriller, and action, but also classic content that takes you back to the great old days of late night cable and finding those cult and classic films that they just don't make anymore. Available for download on Android or Apple or visit darkmattertv.com. It's free, it's fun, and it's gonna grow. This has been an episode I've been wanting to do for some time and I call it easy access. So if, if you're a filmmaker uh, or a celebrity and, and by a filmmaker, an industry person that is pretty well established, uh, this episode just might be able to lend some insight and I'd love to hear from you as well. And the concept of easy access came from, I was actually talking to a friend who is a celebrity. The internet has made things almost too easy for people. To some, it can easily sound like, oh, I'm, I'm not paying it forward. Uh, I'm, I'm not being helpful. Uh, people ask for help and, and I don't want to help. So let me make this clear. And, and you almost have to give the uh, I walked uphill both ways in snow when I was a kid kind of thing to school. I didn't have really any help getting into this industry. I, I did not go to film school and I didn't have wealthy parents who could subsidize my films and rent out movie theaters for my projects or things like that. There was no uh, Rolodex of, of important names uh, to be passed on to me or any type of networking connections whatsoever. There is a huge difference between networking and not knowing personal boundaries. I believe that social media especially has created a kind of cynical attitude among up-and-coming filmmakers or even fans in the belief that they should just have access uh, to people who are already established in the hope of some type of shortcut or even personal gratification. I'm the first person who wants to help someone, and I've always been that way, and it's not something I'm just saying to pat myself on the back to my audience. I will always try to help. But the biggest problem is, is sometimes you can try to help too much in making yourself way too available. And look, that comes down to the fact that I live on the East Coast, Hollywood's on the West Coast, and I will spend my whole morning and day tracking down and getting things done for work, and Hollywood is three hours behind me. So by the time that they're ready to start returning phone calls, it's the end of the day here. I get told quite a bit, you make yourself too available. I'll take calls at eight o'clock here at night, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. And it makes me look too eager maybe, or too hungry. I understand what it is like to work and want to get your stuff recognized or most of all passed on to people who can get it to the proper places so you can also move up the ladder. So this has nothing to do with the fact that I don't want to help people. Basically, I am only online with Twitter. And Twitter has been a great way for me to expand my brand. I found that Instagram, I really didn't have a lot to, to offer Instagram. Instagram is, is mostly pictorial. I'm not an actor. I'm, I'm not out you know, to further my brand in the way of image and modeling or, or things like that. So for me, I found that Instagram really didn't bring me a, a lot of results. However, I have found incredible results on Twitter. And in addition to that, I have found some really 
excellent and fun people. And I've got to meet some of them face to face. And that's always a unique thing is when you meet somebody that you've been talking with, it's kind of like meeting your pen pal. And that's what really, I've always called Twitter a, a digital restroom wall. And, you know, you can just post your opinions up, tweet your, your statements, and somebody can add to them and that kind of thing. And it creates a dialogue. Almost 20,000 people follow me on Twitter. But every once in a while, you do run into something. And, and that is Twitter allows you to play the hashtag games and you can put pictures out there and, and talk about stories and make yourself available. It sometimes breaks down certain barriers and, and proximities. It allows people to kind of jump the fence and they kind of think that you've opened yourself completely up and invited them into your world. Uh, Twitter is like being on a bus and having a friendly conversation with people, but you're not going home with those people and they're not coming home with you. Social media has, has allowed a breaking down of, of certain professional and personal barriers where people just think they have instant access because they can talk to you and they hope you'll respond. Social media has fostered a, a kind of convenience where it's just like, oh, I can go online and I can just talk to this person. And whether I can ask them for a favor or simply express my opinion to them, uh, I can do that. And that's great. There are some great things about that. But we are losing the ability, and I think we've lost that ability. Some people have already lost that ability of, of knowing when to be respectful and, and respecting personal boundaries. And, and there's just no other way I, I can phrase it like that. Uh, I try to play the hashtag games. I, I comment on news by posting, uh, you know, daily headlines with some sarcastic comments. And look, I don't have all the answers and I'm no political expert. I, I do it just to engage people and, and have people see that, wow, there's something interesting going on on his timeline. And what concerns me is when I get those DMs, uh, they're from women. And it's always, can I ask you a question? You don't start a DM that way. If you're going to DM somebody, whether, you, look, you've never met them. So whether they're a professional in the film industry or celebrity, you, you don't start off a DM for somebody you've never spoken with. Can I ask you a question? Because my, my wise ass answer back is, well, you already did. But here's what invariably usually follows. And that is, are you single? Uh, you're attractive. You're a nice guy. Look, you don't know me, okay? And I'm not inviting that into my world. I am not online to hook up. I am not online to troll for sexy pictures or anything like that. I don't understand what possesses someone to think that it's just okay to reach out on Twitter on a very professional platform that I have to, to talk about something personal and basically say that, that you're looking for a mate, a date, whatever. Twitter is not a dating app, okay? If you want that, then go to Match.com or something like that. I'm not putting out that vibe. I am not putting out anything that would invite or warrant that kind of DM. And I believe that is a breach of boundary. And it is a belief in easy access to me simply because I'm online I joke back, and that's what I think some of these people think, because you joke back with them, or you respond to their joke, or you like their joke, that you're somehow flirting with them. So I know what you're thinking, oh, you know, he's, he's on a rant, and he's just complaining. Well, let's go a little further. When I first went on Twitter, I didn't realize where I was living that I had my, my location pretty much available. And uh, when I was tweeting back and forth and first starting, and I mean, I, I might have had maybe a thousand followers at this time. Um, I came home one night to where I used to live 
And when I came home, there was somebody on my front porch. And where I lived, just so you know, I lived up on top of a mountain on 13 acres. No neighbors, no nothing. The only way to come up my driveway is by deliberation. You don't come up my driveway by accident. My driveway was a quarter mile long and it was a rough dirt road. Someone trekked all the way up there to sit on my porch and then wait for me to get home. And it was almost dark when I got home and this person is sitting on my porch with a package in their hand. Some would say, Harrison, that's not easy access, that's stalking. And you know what this guy wanted? He wanted me to read his script. That is not the way to get anybody in this industry to read your material. I don't take any unsolicited material. And anybody that's trying to come up in this industry should know better. And I told the guy right out, you need to leave or I am calling the police. And the guy was completely offended. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just wanted to give you a script. That's not how you do it, jackass. This is not how you do it. So imagine if I decided to jump the fence at Jennifer Aniston's and uh, decided that I'm just going to try to walk up and give her my script. What do you think she would do to me? I asked this person to leave my property and I had my cell phone out and I had my thumb on 911. This person left and I said, do not return to my property. I will consider it criminal trespassing. I was at a horror convention before Death House came out and we had just presented uh, the trailer, the first uh, minute long trailer of Death House. And while I was there at my table, a guy came up with a CD-ROM saying that he had his script on it and he wanted me to read it. I politely declined. I said, I really appreciate you doing that, but I don't take unsolicited material. And he said, oh, that's okay. I'm not going to sue you. My answer is, I don't care. Number one, this is not how you do it. You don't walk up and present a script at a table at a convention. And again, why did this guy do it? Because he had easy access to me. He could walk right up to my table. There's no security at my table. And that is a concern that I'm going to be getting into for celebrities that are out there on the con circuit with these people just coming up in close proximity and touching range. There's a problem with this. The guy says to me, well, listen, I know how to submit a script. I have another copy and I'm going up to where Jerry Bruckheimer lives. I guess Bruckheimer had a house somewhere near the convention. And he said, I'm not going to put it in his mailbox because that's that's federal tampering. Uh, I'm going to throw it over his fence with a note on it. And I asked him to politely leave. He would not. He tried to take my hand and shove the CD-ROM into my hand. And at that point, that's when I turned, there was somebody on staff. I said, would you please get security? And the guy is staring at me going, what? I can't believe you're doing this. You're calling security on me. What are you, a pussy? What gives you the right to think you can just come up and approach me like this because I'm at a table, because you paid money to come into this place, because you have a pass on? No, I'm not taking your script. I'm not reading your script. This is not the proper way to do things. Number one, I have a lawyer. Number two, I have a manager. Number three, I have an agent. You can go through them. That's how it works. So security came and got this guy. And this guy threw the CD-ROM on the table and kept yelling, read it. And they took him out. And I never saw him again. I took that CD-ROM and I walked over to the garbage and I said very loudly, I would like everyone to note and feel free to take pictures. I'm depositing this CD-ROM into the garbage. I have never opened it, looked at it, or accessed it. And I dropped it right into the trash can. Years ago, 
there was a guy who approached me who said he could get my one movie made because there was something I wanted Jennifer Aniston in. Now, again, I know you can go through Jennifer's agents. That's the way to do it. This guy says, oh, no, 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 no. I have access to her. Um, I'm friends with Jennifer Aniston. I'm going to a wedding this weekend in New York City that she's going to be at. So if you print the script or give it to me on, on a CD-ROM, uh, I'll give it to her at the wedding. What's wrong with this already? Number one, I asked him a question. It was very simple. I said, do you have Jennifer Aniston's cell phone number? He said, well, no. My reply was, then you're not friends with Jennifer Aniston. So don't tell me that you are. You are not friends with Jennifer Aniston if you do not have the ability to call her right now or text her and ask her if this is okay. Number two, let's just say I'm dumb enough to have given him my material. The woman is at a wedding. It is a personal time. And this guy is going to walk up to her and say, hey, I have this script from this guy on an unfunded movie. Would you read it? What do you think she's going to do? Number one, if she's smart, she'll just walk away. But number two, if she's dumb enough to take that material, what do you think she's going to do with it? I can tell you, and you're probably already saying, she's going to do what I did with the guys at that convention and walk to the nearest trash can and dump it or leave it on the nearest table of convenience. You do not have access to Jennifer Aniston. And just because you're going to a wedding, that easy access does not make it a professional networking opportunity. Now, I've spoken about this before on, on previous episodes, but I do have a very strong concern for celebrities at horror conventions, comic cons, whatever. Uh, there, is, there is major concern for their security. And some of these people approach these tables with these celebrities and they have like touching distance where if they wanted to, they could really hurt someone. I think access to celebrities at conventions is just a little way too lax. I'll give another example of easy access. While I was at a convention uh, for Camp Dread, uh, star Eric Roberts saw that I was uh, interested and excited to see that Chris Sarandon, uh, one thing that always stood out to me, one of my favorites was 1985's Fright Night by Tom Holland. And I just absolutely to this day love the film. And I don't really get starstruck. But in this case, I was pretty excited to come into contact with really a living memory from, from my teenage years. I have a lot of fond memories of Fright Night. And Eric just on the by and by said, well, do you want to go meet him? Now, I want you to understand, I can go meet him. He's at a table. He's right there with easy access. All I have to do is walk up, uh, introduce myself, and if I want a picture, whether to buy one or take one, I just put down some money and boom, I meet Chris Sarandon. However, Eric said something interesting to me. He said, look, you're not doing that because you're in the industry. You are equals, is what he had said. And I did not think of myself as an equal to Chris Sarandon. He said, you just made a great film with me that I'm very proud of, and uh, you can go down and, and talk to him as a equal professional. So he walked me down, and he brought me up to Chris, who uh, had a moment at his table to speak. And here's what I did. As much as I wanted to get a selfie with Chris Sarandon, you know, Jerry Dandridge, instead, I shook the man's hand, I thanked Eric for his introduction, explained who I was. He was very polite, and I just simply said, I'm here to say thank you for the memories that you gave me with Fright Night. And I said, I appreciate your entire career, 
And I really am appreciative of all the memories you give so many people with your art. That was it, folks. I'm not kidding you. It wasn't much more than that. He did say, well, let me give you my manager's cell phone number. Should you ever want to work together, give him a call. And that is the right way to do things. Let's say I had something for Chris Sarandon. I'm not going to take the offer to Chris Sarandon. I'm going to go to his reps because if I don't, his reps are going to be pretty pissed that they're thinking I'm going behind their back. So there is a proper protocol and there is a difference between networking and pushing personal or professional boundaries. I believe the conventions have given too much easy access to people and it fosters a belief that they have some type of personal connection or relationship where they then can take advantage of that by pitching projects or asking favors. And look, make no mistake, sometimes this works, but you have to know when it's warranted, especially if you really don't have anything going. Also, easy access, both at conventions and on social media, allow a lot of patrons, um, fans, to, to think they can just say whatever they want. And I've mentioned this before as well in my podcast. I, I stood with one actor where a woman just purchased photographs and looked at this actor and said, you know, you're really much more attractive in your photographs than you are in real life. And my response to that is, is what gives you the right to say that? And I don't even think they think of it as a right. They simply have easy access to say this. They're there, right? They're right in front of this person. Why not say it? And as we know, some people just have no filters. I'm not going to belabor the celebrity thing too much more because I want to get into the professional aspect of things with, with filmmaking and in the industry. And one of the things is, look, I'm going to use myself as an example. I am uh, good friends with Amanda Wiss, the actress from, of course, Nightmare on Elm Street, Better Off Dead, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Silverado, the list goes on. And Amanda is a wonderful, very giving person, and we've cultivated a very strong friendship, but also a professional friendship. Amanda starred in uh, my VR spinoff for Samsung, 360 Degrees of Hell, which was a spinoff of my feature film, uh, the Corey Feldman film, Six Degrees of Hell. Whenever I have approached Amanda professionally, I have always done it properly and through proper channels. So I went through Amanda's agent when I booked her for 360 degrees of hell. And I approached Amanda financially and professionally to do a voice for a character that I'm doing in an animated sales reel. So I've never taken advantage of Amanda's personal relationship with me. However, I know Amanda is close friends with Heather Legenkamp, her co-star from A Nightmare on Elm Street. And as we all know, Heather had a personal tragedy in the loss of her son. And I felt very badly about this. And I wanted to simply send a letter of, of condolence. And I wrote it. And I thought it was a really good letter. And Amanda, being kind enough, said she would pass it on to her. But here's the thing. I have never asked Amanda for Heather's email, phone number, or any type of uh, address. And you know why? Because I've never met Heather. Amanda said, if you write it, send it to me, and I will personally give it to Heather. And then I thought about it again, and I thought, I have absolutely no right to send this to this woman. Who am I? Why would I give this to her? I mean, yeah, it's, it's well-intentioned, 
But what good is it going to do? In the end, she'll, she might read some of it and go, well, yeah, it's really nice of this guy, but I guess. I mean, grief is a private thing. I thought better of it. And it's, it falls under the classification of just because you can doesn't mean you should. When I do finally meet Heather face-to-face, it will be professionally and hopefully with a contract as well, too. And if we get along after that, that's great, and it's a bonus. I don't rely on Amanda for easy access as a shortcut to my career or even a personal indulgence. Here we all are in the same profession, and we work together, and yet I respect her personal and professional boundaries. With my standing in in the horror industry, I get approached a lot for interviews, and I'm always flattered. It's great that somebody wants to hear from me or hear about my next project coming up or talk about Death House or how much I hate Jaws the Revenge. That's that's all wonderful. And and now that this podcast has really started to blow up, I, I get a lot of requests also to be on other podcasts, etc. And it's really nice. The thing that I want to make clear is, is that social media does provide, again, that illusion of easy access where some people who really just don't have their act together... And what I mean by that is, is like for production value or whatever for their podcasts, uh, some of them have done some pretty sloppy jobs. I'm one of the nice ones. And there are filmmakers out there that would say, you don't have your equipment ready. You don't even edit this thing. This is sloppy. I'm not doing this. I was approached by several who said, my podcast really isn't all that big. And uh, I I really don't know if this is going to be my thing, but I'd like to have you on my show. That is not a good professional invite because really the response is, if you don't believe in what you're doing, well, then why the hell should I? If you're going to approach me via Twitter on social media, which is fine, then have your act together and do it professionally. Don't come at me with some kind of selfie-facing, you know, downgrading yourself. Well, I'm really not so good at this. Why am I talking to you then? And who's listening to it? So again, it falls under that, well, he's on Twitter and we're Twitter friends. I'm going to ask him a favor to do this. I don't mind coming on podcasts. What I do mind is when people just act like, well, this is kind of my side hustle and I really don't care about this. Then I don't know why you're bothering with me because I do care what I'm doing. After I'm done with this podcast, I will edit this down. I will make sure that it is the best quality that I can do. That's how it works. And when I have interview subjects on, I'm prepared. I have my questions ready. And it's not a lot of ums, likes, you knows from me. And I also edit everything down. So that person who is being interviewed knows when they listen, I'm putting in the very best. And that is out of professional respect to my guests on the Cinema Podcast. I actually had a guy who approached me to be on a a brand new podcast of his. It was a horror podcast, and uh, he was really nervous about talking to me. And look, I understand all of that. I get it. I was nervous, too, when I first started out in this business, you know, trying to talk to agents and managers and reps and all of that stuff and talking to sound like I knew what I was talking about. So, So I get that. But he just kept downplaying himself and cutting on himself all the time in in the beginning of it that I finally told him, I said, look, let's start over. You are coming to me as someone who wants an interview because you're a growing podcast. And that's how you have to look at yourself. Stop looking at yourself as your nobody. So please don't use this easy access of coming to me on my social media and really wasting my time. If you don't believe in yourself, then you fake it till you make it. All I did wrong was come on your podcast. 
So don't make me feel like that. So I, I kind of talked him, talked him out of the tree and got him to reset and he did just fine. And it turned out to be a, a really nice podcast. And from what I understand, he's still at it. I've gone out of my way throughout my career to get ahead and network and, and take some risks and reach out to people. Now I'm going to bring up Tommy Lee Wallace for an example. Most of you in horror are very familiar with Tommy Lee Wallace. He's the veteran uh, director of, of Halloween 3. Uh, he did the ABC miniseries Stephen King's It, Fright Night Part 2, uh, Vampires 2, and of course was the art designer and uh, came on board as really, you know, a, a jack of all trades on the original Halloween and grew up with John Carpenter and, and they were close friends and are close friends. I needed a director for a film, for a script that I had written. This was before I was in the industry. And I decided I'm going to go after Tommy Lee Wallace. I felt he was gettable. He carried a name. And I, I think I could, you know, relate to him because I was such a fan of his work. But I had a solid project. But I needed a director who would be willing to take a chance on it. I did not try to find Tommy Lee Wallace's personal phone number. I did not have wide access to the internet at the time. It was still dial-up. But I was able to search enough to find representatives and track down that Tommy was represented by a major agency in Hollywood. And I contacted Tommy through his agency. I did not try to find his email. I did not try to find his personal address. I did not try to find his phone number and call him out of the blue. Now, every once in a while on Twitter, someone comes to me and they say, I have a script. I have a project. Now, on top of it, there is a new resource that exists today. And that, of course, is IMDb and IMDb Pro. Spend the $150 a year if you're really that serious about being in this industry and don't rely on easy access and do your homework. You can contact me through my legal representatives on IMDb Pro and you can contact me by my agent or manager. It doesn't mean that I'm just right there to walk up to and pitch in public. It's, it's almost the same thing. Just because you have easy access doesn't mean it's a professional shortcut. I, I get approached by some people who will send me a script and, and one recently did this where the, the guy just wrote, you know, it's okay if you hate my script. That's not the way to come out of the gate to convince somebody to read your project. Uh, he did, by the way, send proof of copyright and everything like that. And, and I'm happy to always sign an NDA. So you're sending me something. I mean, it takes two hours to sit down and read this and read it well and then give you notes. And that's another thing with easy access. You want to be read? Well, then you submit it to a coverage house and you get professional coverage, which is going to cost you 250 to 350 bucks for some coverage. What about funding? Do you have financing? And, and a number of these projects, they always come back the same. Well, no, no financing in place. We're kind of hoping this. And look, I get it. I've been there. I've been hoping to attach the celebrity before I have the financing, the chicken and the egg. You chase the celebrity to get the money. The money says they won't commit unless you get the celebrity. It's, it's the age old thing in Hollywood. And you got to find a way to somehow short circuit that. Don't come at somebody just because you can because your social media friends or acquaintances and suddenly being friendly to somebody is opening the door to a whole host of other things that you never really intended nor requested. I was at a social gathering where a friend of mine came up and said, this is my friend's son. He's got a script. Well, right away you think, uh-oh, but because they had easy access to me, 
they thought they could come up and give me the script. Well, the first thing I said to this person was, other than all the usual, is it copyrighted? I said, I'm not reading anything till I have proof of that. Well, a week later, he submitted everything properly. And because this was my friend's acquaintance kind of thing, I read the script. But before I did, at that meeting in person, I said to this guy, I said, are you sure you want the feedback? Are you sure you want the criticism? Look, it may be a brilliant script for all I know. If this is what you want, you better be sure because I'm not wasting my time here. I'm going to give you professional coverage, in my opinion, as a professional screenwriter. And I pretty much tore it apart. And I said, I, you know, I'm doing this because no good deed goes unpunished. So what's going to probably happen is you're going to be upset. You're going to go back and say that Harrison Smith is a dick and my friend's going to get pissed off because I pissed you off. Or you can accept this criticism and actually try to improve your script and not be a victim. I technically should be charging for this. And I get asked a lot for my professional opinion on projects, which I do. And that is a problem where it comes back to easy access. I make myself too available. And because somebody DMs me on Twitter doesn't mean I have to respond immediately. Hell, there are people out there, they don't even look at their DMs. So I hope this podcast was clear. It's not that you don't want to help people. It's not that you don't want to see people succeed or that you've forgotten your roots. It comes down to professional respect and understanding professional and personal boundaries. Just because you're on social media and linked doesn't mean that there's a romantic interest a professional interest, or any type of personal interest. I'm on Twitter because it helps further my brand. I started this cinema podcast to talk about these very kind of things because I believe that the attitude of, well, because we're social media buddies, that allows me some type of access. Well, I believe that's a a cynical practice. I really do. I think it's a very cynical move to try to get ahead without doing the proper professional steps. Listen to that little voice inside of you. If that little voice says, it's probably not a good idea to do this, it probably isn't. And if you're going to private message someone in this industry, whether it's it's an actor or a filmmaker, don't start off with, can I ask you a question? Because that never leads to anything good. And most of the time, I just want to say, no. Know your boundaries and know that easy access doesn't mean professional shortcuts. This is Harrison Smith for Cinema, brought to you by Dark Matter TV. And I thank you for listening and look forward to talking to you next week. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give a rating and review. Cinema is also available on YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Google Play Music and more. Check out my cinema blog on horrorfuel.net and download Dark Matter TV for your Apple or Android devices.